Uh, well, we want to start a new series today that we've entitled In Those Days, and you'll see why we've entitled it this way uh, here in a little bit. It's going to be a study in, in the last five chapters of Judges. Uh, the, there's a period in the history of Israel where they really had no direction. No one was standing saying, follow me, let's go in this way. Uh, there was a lot of issues during this time period, and the time period was called the period of the Judges. All right, and, and yes, every once in a while, there was a man or sometimes a woman who would stand up and say, we need to start doing what God says. But what we see happening uh, after those judges passed away, the Israelites fall back uh, to their pattern of evil. And so this is kind of just how the, the cycle goes. What judge rises, uh, he brings them out of the oppression uh, and then when the judge dies, they're back into oppression because they fail to follow God. The last five chapters of the book of Judges, though, uh, give us a different insight. While the, the first 16 chapters deal with these various judges and what they did, the last five don't talk about the judges, but rather they talk about the society that these judges lived in. And in particular, there's two stories that are given to us. Uh, one is dealing with how the people worshipped, all right? God and, and other things. Uh, and the second story is how they dealt with justice. And what we see in this story is, is something fascinating. It's, these stories show us uh, a, a society uh, that has turned away from God and what that looks like. And so I think it's important to look at. Uh, they're not really edifying. You shouldn't look at them and be like, yes, I feel spiritually giants because of these chapters. That's not what they're there for, but they do show us what happens if we fail to obey God. And so that's what we're going to look at. That's kind of uh, what we need to understand uh, in these stories. So over the next five weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at them. So today we're going to be in Judges chapter 17. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up there. Uh, we're going to start by reading the first two verses of chapter 17. Uh, and this is what it says. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have the silver, I took it. And his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. Now before we continue, I think it's important for you to understand that I, we have a son named Micah who's sitting right here. He is not named after this Micah in the Bible. All right, this Mike in the Bible, as you'll see, is a terrible person. That's not who we named our son after. Our son is usually not terrible, okay? All right, there's another Micah in the Old Testament. That's who he's named after. Okay, so Micah, we are introduced to him. Uh, this story is going to be about him in both chapter 17 and 18. Uh, and we see that he comes onto the scene, and he's depicted as a thief. All right, his mother had some money, and he has stolen the money uh, and and taking it uh, to to for himself. All right. Now, sometimes if you were a child one time, you probably stole money from your parents, right? How many did that? How many are willing to admit it? Remember, we talked about confession earlier, right? All right. I remember uh, every once in a while being in in our little town, and they had a candy uh, store there where you could buy Tootsie Rolls for one penny, and I remember wanting some and probably scavenging through my mom's car for her loose change uh, and getting Tootsie Rolls. Uh, they had Fruity Tooties, which are awesome. If you ever buy me candy, Fruity Tooties are the bomb, okay? Just keep that in mind, all right? All right, and so this is, 
this is one of those things that, that sometimes happens, right? It's not right of us to do, all right? But it does take place. My children do it to us every once in a while, and it's frustrating when you pull into Aldi and you don't have a quarter for a cart, all right? And so we've talked to our kids, don't take this money, all right? Now, this money that Micah has stolen, it's, it's a little more than just candy money, okay? Uh, it's 1,100 shekels, which is a weight of measurements uh, of silver. And, and t- if we were to translate it that into today, that would be about $7,000 of silver. All right? That's a lot of money. And in that day, it was a lot more than what we think of, okay? All right? That would have been a fortune for them. And Micah, he comes and he says, Mom... I heard you utter a curse, because she probably cursed the person that stole the money, all right? I heard you utter the curse, and here is your money. Now, we might look at Micah, and we might say, Micah, you're doing a great job returning the money. But we have to remember, he's only returning the money because in the first place, he stole the money, right? All right? And then we also have to ask the question of, what is his motivation behind this? And this is, I think, a question we have to ask throughout this chapter. What is motivating these people to do these things? Because what happens is just crazy, as we'll see. But there's motivation behind everything. Uh, Whenever we go out into our lives uh, and live our lives, there are motivations behind the things that we do. If I have one or two of my children with me and we're at the grocery store, typically they will come home with a candy bar. And the reason why they come home with a candy bar when it's just me is because I love them. There's an underlying motivation for this. My wife's shaking her head, okay? All right, now, if my wife is with me and the kids want a candy bar, you know what happens? I say no. And you know why I say no? Because I'm afraid of my wife. (laughs) All right? I'm just kidding. I I love her, but I know that she disapproves of that. And so I don't do it when when she's around, okay? But there's motivation behind the things that I do in life. And for all of us, that's the way. And so sometimes we have to look at characters in the Bible. We have to ask that question, why are they doing this? And sometimes we don't know the answer because sometimes you can't judge motivation just off of a text. But we can assume a couple of things. One thing we can assume is that Micah is bringing this back, not because of guilt, but because of this curse that his mom has uttered. And we see that because the curse and the blessing that takes place, right? All right, Micah says, hey, you uttered a curse about this. Here's your money. And she says, I bless you. And what's happening there is this. In the ancient world, curses were serious things. And if somebody cursed you, you took it seriously. You were afraid that it would befall on you. And so the only way to reverse a curse was to have that person that cursed you bless you instead. And so that's kind of what's happening here is, is I heard you under this curse. I don't want to be cursed. Here's your money back. And she blesses him, removing the curse that she had issued. And so the motivation isn't guilt, but rather fear of what is going to happen to him. All right, so that's kind of what's going on. There's some motivation there. Uh, what, what happens in the rest of the story? Well, let's read what it says in verses 3 through 4. It says, When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate the silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. All right, you kind of read this and you're like, wow, this lady is dedicated to God. She's going to dedicate it to the Lord to make an idol. 
All right, verse 4, he says, After he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels. How much does she have? 1,100. How much does she give? 200. That's right. All right, so, so she says, I'm going to dedicate all of this silver to the Lord, but she doesn't, right? She holds back. That's important, all right? And instead, she takes the 200 shekels of silver and gives it to a silversmith who used them to make an idol, and it was put in Micah's house. So this is where we kind of see that, that not all is right with this family. All right? And we, we kind of get that from the beginning. When a son steals that much money from his mom, not all is right with the family. All right? But on top of that, we see uh, that this mom decides to consecrate the silver to the Lord to make an idol. And it's going to get better from here. It, trust me, it, it, just, it gets worse, I should say. It's just going to be more and more and more. All right? and, and something we have to understand is... is what is going on in their society? Right? They have the law of Moses. Right? God has given them how they should live and how they should worship. And all of those things are going to play a factor into understanding uh, not only this story, but the next story. Right? In the law of Moses, uh, God told them how they should live, and it's summed up uh, in the Ten Commandments. And Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20. I want us to read today just the first two. Uh, so Exodus 20, verse 3 says this. Uh, you shall have no other God before me. So no other gods. All right, the next one is this. You shall not make for yourself an image or an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So basically don't make an idol, right? All right, and yet what we see happens in, in, in Judges chapter 17 is that this is exactly what they've done. They've taken the silver and they made an image, an idol, and they've called it Yahweh. Now, if this seems familiar, it is. Right? The Israelites, as most of us are in our lives, they were very cyclical. They kind of went back to the things that they constantly were doing. Right? And sometimes in our lives, we are cyclical. We keep on sinning in the same ways. Right? And so this is kind of what happens. Now, the Israelites, when they first got to Mount Sinai, uh, they, they, there's an interesting story there. They get there, and God appears on the mountain in fire and smoke, and he speaks out. And it's like the thunder, and the Israelites, they say, Moses, we are going to die. You go speak for us. We don't want to go near God. And so Moses goes, and he's given the Ten Commandments and given other things that they're to do, and he brings it back to them and says, will you follow? And they say, yes, we will. And then he goes back up onto the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time period, it's a long time to be there, all right, uh, the Israelites, they say, we don't know what's happened to that guy. We think he's dead. And so they turn to Aaron. They say, Aaron, make us an idol. And Aaron takes all the gold from their earrings, and he makes them an idol in the image of a calf. And they knew what they were not to do, right? They weren't supposed to make this image, but this is what they did, and they called the idol Yahweh. Right? And that, that's important, okay? This is the name of God. And when they're making this calf, they're not saying this is, calf is our God. They're saying this calf represents Yahweh, which is what they're not to do. And so we don't know what the image is that the Micah and his mom have made, but we probably could assume it's a cow, 
All right, cows were very popular in that day. They represented fertility and strength. All right, and so it's very possible that that's what's been made here. And so we have this idol that's been placed in uh, Micah's house. And the question that we really can't answer is this. Is Micah and his mom doing this out of disobedience or out of ignorance? And that's a tough question because sometimes we do things out of ignorance, right? All right? But I don't necessarily know that that's the case here. As we'll see, he knows a little bit about the law and what was supposed to happen. We'll see that in a couple of verses. All right? And so I think that he knows what's right and he's just choosing to follow God differently. And there's motivation behind it. Well, let's read uh, verse 5 to see uh, the more that's piled on here. Verse 5, we read that uh, this man Micah, he has a shrine. Uh, He makes an ephod and some household gods, and he installs one of his sons as a priest. And this is uh, more and more pile being poured on this this already smelly thing, okay? This is not good. First off, he has a shrine in his house. Now, that doesn't seem very weird to us, all right, because we have churches everywhere, right? Mexico has, has like, how many churches? 33 churches, okay? So we have churches all over the place. But in that society, God had told them, the only place that you were to worship me uh, was uh, the tabernacle or uh, where God had appeared, a theophany, okay? So, like, uh, the burning bush. They could worship at Mount Sinai. All right, or, or in the case of Gideon, Gideon builds an altar because the Lord appears to him. All right, so those are the only places they were supposed to worship God. And more than likely, that hasn't happened in Micah's backyard. All right, and so, yeah, he's built this shrine, and it's probably out of convenience, not having to go to wherever the tabernacle was to worship God there. He could worship God where he is, and that's why he's built this idol to place him there. Uh, on top of that, he's built this ephod. An ephod was a thing that the high priest wore. Uh, Only the high priest was supposed to have it. It helped them uh, in interpreting God's will. And and here is Micah with his own ephod. Uh, Then he goes uh, and he uh, establishes uh, inside the shrine household gods. I remember that first commandment, have no other God besides me. All right. No other God, and yet here in this shrine where he has this idol to God is these other, uh, and probably ancestor worship gods. All right, and then he establishes his son as a priest. And in the uh, law of Moses, the only ones that were to be priests was a certain family of the tribe of Levi. And so there's just one thing on top of another that Micah is doing that is not correct. It's not how it's supposed to be. It is wrong. It is sinful. And the author of Judges, he summarizes what's going on in verse 6. He says this, and and it's going to be something that's repeated over and over again uh, in these five verses. chapters. He says this in verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And these verses, they're, they're indictment of what is going on in their society. And they're important verses because I think they apply very much to our lives as well. All right, so let's kind of break it down. He says, in those days, Israel had no king. And, and that's ideas that's initially thought of as the monarchy, right? The kings of Israel that will lead the people in the right way to live. But when we look at the monarchy, 
we see that there's a lot of issues there. See, the kings don't solve the issue of people living wrong. Right? If we look at the kings, even the best of kings, they had problems. King David, uh, this model king, was messed up. Right? He slept with another man's wife. He had that man killed so he could marry her. Uh, he had a son who raped his half-sister. The half-sister's brother killed the son that raped her. Uh, David did nothing as everybody's killing each other. Uh, there's a civil war, and it's just one thing on top of another. Even David, the greatest king, had issues. And so I think this idea of Israel having no king is more than just pointing to the monarchy, asking for establishment. I think it's representing something very important because Israel did have a king, and that king was God. And yet, even though God had brought them out of Egypt, even though God had brought them into the promised land and conquered the, the various people groups, even though he rose, rose these judges up in order for them to conquer the oppressors, Israel did not acknowledge God as king. And because they did not acknowledge God as king, we get the second part of this verse. Everyone did as they saw fit. Whatever is right in my own eyes, that's what I'm going to do. That might sound familiar, right? When we look at our world and we see this played out over and over again. I want to do what I think is right. And when it comes to the life of Micah and his mother, this is played out in the way that he is going to worship. I don't care what you say. I'm going to worship how I want to worship. And sometimes I think we, we get into this mentality that we know the right way to worship. And if you worship differently than us, then you're worshiping wrong. And I just think that's, I think that's wrong in many ways. I mean, we, we get so stuck up on whether there's a ritual that takes place or whether uh, there's, there's a certain type of music that should be played or if this order of service is all askew, right? All right, do we take communion in the middle or at the end or at the beginning? Does it really matter? That's my question. And when we get so caught up in these different things, what we really are doing is, is, and saying is this, is that really it's all about me. I want to be comfortable. I want to worship how I want to worship. And we forget the reason why we are even here in the first place. We have a king who sent his son to die the death that we deserved to die. The only reason we get to come and worship that king is because of what he's done. And when we become so stuck on, on what we desire in church, when we get stuck on what we want and how we want to worship, we skew what worship means, and we skew it wrongly. Worship is not to make myself happy. Worship is to praise God for who he is. And those are things that we have to remember. And I think what we see in Micah is that he's worrying about himself, He's worrying about making himself pleased. And we see it in the form of all these things that he's doing that he shouldn't be. Now, I wish I could say the story ends there, but it doesn't. It keeps going. It's one of those stories that never ends, okay? Uh, verse uh, 7 and 9, we read these, these words. 
There was a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judea, uh, Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left the town in search of some other place to stay, and on his way he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? And he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am looking for a place to stay. Uh, this Levite comes in and he's introduced to this mess. He finds Micah and starts to talk to Micah. And Micah has this brilliant uh, moment, all right? And he asks these uh, in the rest of this section, verse, starting in verse 10. Micah says to him, hey, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year with your clothes and your food. And so the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. So uh, this Levite comes in. Uh, the Levites uh, were different from the other tribes. Uh, we mentioned already that they were the ones that were supposed to be the priests, uh, supposed to be uh, doing the temple stuff. All right? But they weren't given a property uh, in the promised land. While the other tribes had an allotment given to them, Levites were not. They had certain cities uh, that they had instead. Right, and by this time, they probably hadn't conquered enough to be able to establish those cities. And so this Levite, he's living in the land of Bethlehem. He's moving on, probably because they can't support him anymore. Uh, and he's coming around, and he comes to Micah. Micah says, hey, I got a job opportunity for you. Why don't you come? I'll pay you. You can be my priest. Now, this is this is something, again, one more thing to add on to our pile so far, right? Uh, the Levites, they were supposed to get their sustenance from the tribe's tithe. The tribes were to tithe, it went to the Levites, it provided for them. All right, they, they were not to be paid on an individual basis. All right, and yet this is what we see happening. This priest, this Levite, is taking 10 shekels of silver a year, which is a lot of money, He's getting new clothes, which is awesome, and he has room and board. All things that someone needs to survive. And so yet we see uh, him take this job despite it being wrong. Now, throughout this entire chapter, I think uh, we see uh, an underlying motivation that's causing them to skew the way they worship God. And I think the underlying factor is greed, all right? Hear me out on this, okay? Micah, his mom has money. What happens when his mom dies? Oh, yeah, he gets the money. And he doesn't have to pay taxes for it. All right, he just, it's just his. But he doesn't want to wait for her to die, so what does he do? He steals the money beforehand. Greed. Choosing his actions. His mom, she says, I want to dedicate this silver to the Lord, and yet she doesn't give it all to God, does she? She gives it just a portion, all right, a little less than a fifth, and she makes it into an idol, and she gives it to the tabernacle? No, that's not what she does, does she? She gives it to her son, who has the silver still? Greed. She didn't want to give it up. And yes, it's an idol, and yes, it's dedicated to the Lord, quote-unquote, but it's still in her possession. And then we get the Levites, who should have been relying upon the people's tithes, uh, along with the rest of his family, and yet here he is being paid to serve. Greed. 
And sometimes greed affects how we worship. What is your motivating factor? What is causing you to worship God? And is it causing you to worship Him in an inappropriate way? Question we have to ask ourselves. The very last verse of this chapter, I think, is, is ironic. Uh, Mo, or Micah says, finally, God will bless me. And he says this because he finally has the priests. And I look at his life and I'm like, really, dude? Do you not see everything else that's going on that's wrong? Yes, you finally get a Levite to be priest. Good for you, but that isn't everything. All of Micah's life to this point has been one of sinfulness. His theft, right? his shrine, his idols, his, his household gods. All these things are things that he was not supposed to do. So why does he think that this one thing that is partially okay will fix everything? I think far too often in our lives we think in this way. We think that if we do this one thing for God, it will, God will bless our entire lives. But the reality is, is God doesn't want just one part of our lives, one little thing. God wants the entirety of our lives. And if we go about our lives living in sin and then finally come to God and say, God, I give you this little part right here, this little hour, this little portion of my life, we cannot expect God to bless that. God wants us to come before Him wholly His. All in or all out. And this verse is going to play important uh, understanding to the next chapter that we read about next week. All right, but this understanding that God's going to bless me because I give Him this little bit of my life, it's not right. So when we look at our lives, we need to ask ourselves, what is our motivation? Why do we come? Why do we worship God? We need to ask ourselves, are we trying to give him just this little bitty piece and expect him to, to bless us while not examining the rest of our lives and seeing all the areas that really need to be his? What is our motivation? Why are we doing and if your motivation is not to honor God, if your motivation isn't to have a holy life, then maybe we need to re-examine it. And maybe we need to fully give ourselves to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly God, we, we are amazed at all that you do. We're amazed at the salvation you give us. And Lord, we know that you are holy that you are worthy of all that we are. God, help us not help us not to worship in inappropriate ways. Help us not uh, to be focused on ourselves, but rather to be focused on you and what you desire from us. Help all of our lives to be dedicated to you in all aspects. Help us, Father, not to dishonor your name, but to be great representatives of who you are. I ask this in your name. Amen.